All right, well, this morning our scripture reading is taken from Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, uh, reading from verse 15 to verse 24. Actually, that should be 15 to 21. 15 to 21 of Genesis chapter 50. And then our sermon passage is 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 to 14. 2 Samuel 16, 1 to 14. But first, uh, Genesis 50, 15 to 21. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. Please give your full attention to the Lord as he speaks to you. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now turning to our sermon passage, 2 Samuel 16, 1-14. When David had passed a little beyond the summit... Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, and 100 of summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, Why have you brought these? And Ziba answered, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, And where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem, for he said, Today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord the king. When King David came to Bahurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gerah. And as he came, he cursed continually. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me 
and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all, and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan. And there he refreshed himself. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Let us pray. Our gracious God, what a blessing it is to hear you speak to us. What a blessing it is to hear your word read publicly. To sit under it as it's read. Our gracious God, we thank you that you have included this portion, this, these events in the history of your people, in the life of David. We're thankful that you, as the author of Scripture, saw fit to have this written down and recorded so that we, 3,000 years later, would benefit from it. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand what is a very different culture than ours. We pray that you give us insight. But we also pray, Lord, that you would help remind us that despite the great time and the great distance, that we still have a great deal in common with David and with the people of that day. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would point us to Christ that you would remind us both of our great need of a Savior and of the Savior himself. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And when we left off last week, David and his entourage were crossing up and over the Mount of Olives. You remember the Mount of Olives is just to the east of Jerusalem. It's on the way to Bethany. David is making his way up and over just as the Lord Jesus Christ a thousand years later, uh, would do so. Christ knew the Mount of Olives very, very well. Well, David was heading east, and we read in chapter 15, verse 37, that Hushai, David's friend and servant, arrived in Jerusalem. You remember Hushai had come to David. He wanted to go with David, and David sent him back to Jerusalem, essentially to serve as a counter to the advice and the counsel of Ahithophel. So Hushai was arriving back in Jerusalem, just as Absalom was making his grand entrance into the city. Of course, today, traditionally, is the day that Christians at least acknowledge, if not outright celebrate, the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. Somewhere around a thousand years prior to that, Absalom is doing just that. But Absalom... He doesn't point to Christ in the way that David did. Absalom is a usurper. Absalom has stolen the throne from David, even as those in Jesus' day sought to steal the throne and the crown from him. Now, we won't get to the details of Absalom's entrance into Jerusalem until uh, verse 15, which is not in our sermon passage this morning, uh, because we wanted to concentrate on a couple of events that occurred Uh, with David while he was on his flight from Jerusalem that the author of 2 Samuel wanted to include first. The author, we don't know who the human author was. We know who the divine author is of this and all scripture. And he saw fit to include these two events, these two occurrences that took place. 
So we'll spend our time today looking at them. These two events that the author details prior to returning to Absalom's grand entrance into the city on the surface seem like a study in contrast, don't they? You have the first man, Ziba, he comes in, he's very gracious, he honors David, he gives him gifts, he brings donkeys with him for David and his household to ride on. And the second man, Shimei, a man from Saul's family, continually curses David, throws stones in David, throws up dust in the air at David, and uh, cries out in hatred against him. Now, David is already going through a great crisis. You all know this, but just to recap, his son has fomented a rebellion against him and is marching toward Jerusalem. All Israel, it seems, has turned against him. He's fleeing his city and his throne in order to save his and his people's lives, and now he's having curses flung at him by a relative of Saul. Can it get any worse? As a matter of fact, yes. Yes, it can, and it will. But these hardships give David the opportunity to extend grace. These hardships give David the opportunity to bless those who curse him, as we'll see more fully later on in 2 Samuel. Well, the, the proposition that I would like you to hold before you to, to, to keep in mind as we work our way through the sermon today is this. Though God is not the origin or the author of sin or of evil, He uses evil in this world for good and very often repays evil with good. Though God is not the origin or author of evil, He uses evil in this world for good and very often repays evil with good. For those of you who get a little weary of three-point sermons, today is just a two-pointer. Occasionally, I like to throw you folks a bone. Just two points today. Uh, The first point is the appearance of fruit, and the second point is curses met with grace. Again, the appearance of fruit is the first point of the sermon. The second, curses met with grace. So let's look at the first point, the appearance of fruit. In verse 1, David and his people, they've just crested the mount, uh, the summit of the Mount of Olives. They're headed downhill now toward Bethany when Ziba, the servant of Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, meets him on the road. Now, as we're discussing Ziba, I'm just going to go ahead and show you my hand. As we're discussing Ziba, for those of you who have watched the Lord of the Rings movies, I know not everyone has understand that, and I wonder what's wrong with you, but still. Uh, for those of you who have watched the Lord of the Rings movies, when you read about Zeba, think Grima Wormtongue. That will help you to identify where he's coming from, because it's confusing, and you read this, and on the surface, and especially when you take this chapter, this passage in isolation from others, you think, wow, what a great guy Zeba is. No, you think Grima Wormtongue. And even if you haven't read The Lord of the Rings, the word Wormtongue ought to give away a little bit about who Grima was and what he was like. As it turns out, I don't know that this was the case, but he could have been, Ziba could have been the inspiration for Tolkien as he was writing the books and included this man, this character in it. And so at first glance, yes, Ziba, he seems likable, he seems helpful. He comes to David and his people with donkeys and bread and raisins and a skin of wine. And some manuscripts, some versions of the Old Testament, instead of two donkeys, it says a, a, a trail or a train of donkeys. And so 
Uh, it may have seemed like a very plausible thing, kind thing, that Zebo was doing. Sounds very generous at first glance. But as it turns out, when David returns to Jerusalem in chapter 19, we won't get there just yet. There's a lot to cover before that. But when he does return to Jerusalem, we find out that Mephibosheth, Zeba's master, had told Zeba that he was going to saddle a donkey for himself so that he, Mephibosheth, could ride with David out of the city. Mephibosheth wanted to go with David. And instead, Zeba had gotten either two donkeys or a, a train of donkeys. And he'd probably done so on the pretext of bringing them back to Mephibosheth so that they could both ride out of the city. But instead, he took the donkeys and the provisions that they would need for their ride while they were catching up with David, and he took them for himself. Listen to Ziba's answer when David asks him in verse 3 where Mephibosheth is. Behold, he remains in Jerusalem, for he said, Today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. These are the words that Ziba is putting into Mephibosheth's mouth. Now, it is curious, and I think David is somewhat skeptical, at least initially. It's curious that Ziba would go off and leave his master, which is why David questions him about it. But Ziba's answer, it seems just plausible enough for David to believe him. David buys it. He doesn't question Ziba very much. He doesn't have time to question Ziba very much. He's on the road. He is in flight. He's trying to get away from his enemy who wants to kill him, his own son. But it probably gnawed at the back of David's mind as he worked his way toward the Jordan River. David understands the roles and the duties of servants. He has them himself. And Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, the only remaining child of Jonathan, it was upon Mephibosheth that David had bestowed all of these graces and blessings. And so David had to have wondered. Dale Davis and his commentary writes, it would have been passing ludicrous for Mephibosheth to suppose that Saul's line would be reinstalled when the whole groundswell was for Absalom's kingship. And so no doubt, it was in the back of David's mind. What's going on here? This doesn't seem right, but he doesn't have time to question it. And so for us, with the benefit of having the full account, we can more clearly see that Ziba was acting in his own self-interest, not out of benevolence for David and his people. And it ended up working out pretty well for him, as it turns out. And so based on what David has been led to believe is Mephibosheth's disloyalty, in verse 4, David tells Ziba, Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. Ziba, it seems, has gotten what he wanted, maybe even more than he could ever have imagined. Now, the Zebas of the world, as this passage makes clear, they have always been around. There are people in this life, it seems, whose main purpose is to take advantage of others. And this crisis was, uh, was one that, uh, such as the one David was in, is the optimal time to be taken advantage of. His guard was down. He was trying to move quickly. He didn't have the ability to fact-check Zeba's story. He didn't have trustworthy counselors with him. Now, on a side note... Brothers and sisters, today it is especially the case with senior citizens. There are countless scams that are aimed at you directly if you are above a certain age. 
People are trying their hardest to part you from your hard-earned retirement savings. And you need to be on your guard. If you have questions, if someone has approached you about some kind of deal or offer or, or something, talk to someone you trust. Talk to a relative you know has your best interest in mind or a friend, someone, anyone. The scams, they're as old as dirt itself, and yet there are new ways for people to implement them. Technology that makes it so easy for you to end up with nothing. So have close counselors that you can trust and go to them. As we will see, by God's grace, the situation with Ziba will work out in the end. Mephibosheth will show his true loyalty to David in chapter 19 by being willing to give up everything to Ziba if it means that he can remain in David's house. And that brings us to the second part of the sermon, Curses Met with Grace. As we've already noticed, the next incident that we read about in chapter 16 is far more clear, much less ambiguous. There's no deception with Shimei. He openly curses David. He throws stones at David while cursing him. In verse 5, we read that when David came to Bahurim, a man from the family of Saul named Shimei came out and began to curse David. But Bahurim was a little to the east of Jerusalem, not far beyond the Mount of Olives and in the land that was allotted to the tribe of Benjamin. This is Saul's tribe. This is Saul's home country, his territory. And as we see with, uh, with Shimei, there are still those who are loyal to Saul. Now, verse 13 says that Shimei was on a path that paralleled the one that David and his people were on. And that path was on the other side of a ravine from David and his people. It was far enough away to be safe from David's mighty men, but it was close enough to be heard and to hurl rocks at David. Going back to verses 7 and 8, we read there that Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. Yahweh has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned, and Yahweh has given the kingdom into the hand of Absalom. See, your evil is on you. For you are a man of blood. Decades have passed since David became king in Saul's place, but Shimei's anger over it is undiminished. It was far worse than those who are holding grievances over the 2020 election. But Abishai, Joab's brother, he wants to put an end to Shimei's curses by means of decapitation. He wants to shut him up by cutting his head off. But David won't allow it. Now, most of the time, we sinful humans are very quick to defend our honor, to get our backs up when someone criticizes us, to to stand firm, trying to ensure that our reputation remains untarnished. But David goes in a completely different direction here. In response to Abishai's offer to put Shimei out of his misery, David says in verse 10, What have I to do with you, O sons of Zeruiah? If he is cursing because Yahweh has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why then have you done so? No one would have questioned David if he had given the okay for Shimei to be killed. But David has enough humility to grant the possibility that the Lord may be using Shimei. David continues in verses 11 and 12, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite Leave him alone and let him curse, for Yahweh has told him to. 
It may be that Yahweh will look on the wrong done to me and that Yahweh will repay me with good for his cursing today. Now David, we have to remind ourselves, is a sinful pre-Christ Christian. He is a weak-willed Old Testament saint. But he has just enough faith to trust that God is sovereign and that even if others mean to do evil against him, that God intends it for good. God is not the author or the origin of evil, and yet he can use evil for his own good and perfect purposes, and he always does. David trusts that the Lord may repay the curses he received from Shimei with good. And that takes faith. It takes faith to trust that the Lord will repay rather than taking matters of justice into your own hands. Now, in a sense, David was the law. As king, he could have easily justified Shimei's execution on the spot. He wouldn't even have had to bloody his own hands. He had men ready to do it. But instead, he showed humility. He showed restraint. This is not weakness, brothers and sisters. This is meekness. It is humility. He was able to do in the middle of a conflict, in the heat of the moment, what Joseph had done when the dust had pretty much settled, to take nothing away from God's grace on display in Joseph. Now, our scripture reading from Genesis is well known, but well worth reviewing from time to time, because because it shows that God has a higher purpose, a good purpose for the trials his people suffer. After Jacob's death, Joseph's brothers were very afraid of what Joseph might do to them. They're afraid that, that, that Jacob was the restraining hand on Joseph. They know what they had done. They sold Joseph into slavery years before. And so they were afraid that now that Jacob was out of the way, Joseph would exact his revenge. In Genesis 50, verses 60 to 17, they sent a message to Joseph with these words, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the, father, of the God of your father. And what was Joseph's response? He told them, do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. Now we may struggle with it. Sometimes our overactive sense of justice gets in the way. But in chapter 19, David shows mercy both to Ziba and Shimei. Even though, once again, Abishai, he's ready to execute Shimei there in chapter 19. He wants to get rid of this man. And David won't allow it. Why is this? There's a part of me, and perhaps there's a part of you, that wants David to be vindicated. We don't like it that the Lord's anointed is being abused in this way. Why is it that David shows such restraint? Well, I think it's because David knows, he understands what it means to be forgiven. He has been forgiven much, and so he is willing to forgive others much, even when they commit egregious sins against him. He, he could have invoked his royalty, that these attacks were against the person of the king. 
And that something like what Shimei had done could not be allowed to stand. And yet he didn't. Now David is going to prove continually through the end of 2 Samuel that he is a sinner. He's kind of like the Peter of the Old Testament in that way. Just when you think David has gotten it figured out, he's, he's firing on all cylinders. He messes up again. We talked about this yesterday at the Men's Fellowship. Peter, one of the reasons we love him is because he's very much like we are. He gets it right. He gets it so right. And then he turns around and gets it so wrong. And here David is getting it so right. But he will get it wrong again. Even at the very end of his life, at the end of 2 Samuel, he gets it wrong again. But David shows us here that he is the Lord's anointed, anointed, and in doing so he points forward to the Messiah, to the anointed one who will come. In his staying the hand of execution against Shimei, David points forward to Jesus Christ, who, as he was dying on the cross for sins that he did not personally commit, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, had Abishai gone over... Had he crossed that ravine and gone over to where Shimei was and lopped off his head, I suspect that most of us would nod our heads in judgment, in agreement rather, satisfied as to the judgment that had been brought. How much stronger is our own sense of justice when we perceive that we have been wronged? As a society, as well as in the church, we could do with a lot more humility in the face of curses and epithets, as well as in the face of speech that we simply don't like. We as a people, talking about humanity here, not specifically Christians, we are extraordinarily attenuated to any perceived slight in the speech of others. We need safe spaces for microaggressions. We're unwilling to hear anything that runs counter to what we hold to be the truth. People are being canceled for saying things that a generation or two ago would have been laughed about. And now they're being driven away. And we Christians aren't immune to this either. We are very quick to boycott things that we believe are anti-Christian or anti-America. And if someone criticizes us or insults us, the gloves come off in many cases. We can get downright brutal. But Jesus shows us a better way, brothers and sisters. And as followers of Christ, we are called to obey him. Not only did the Lord repay David with good, following Shimei's curses and Ziba's deception, but he repaid Shimei and Ziba with good. This is what Jesus does. He repaid our evil done to him with good. If you who are Christians have ever sinned, and you have, If you're a Christian, you know that. If you who are Christians have ever sinned, you did evil to Jesus Christ. You caused him to suffer the worst pain that ever was suffered. You did that. I did that. He endured his father's fire-like wrath for you and me on the accursed cross. But for you and for me, And for everyone who believes in his name, he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
And brothers and sisters, that is good news. That is the gospel. And in it, we rejoice. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank you that not only was David willing to suffer insults and abuse and stones being thrown at him, but his greater son, the Lord Jesus, suffered those things and much, much worse. And he did so for sinners, sinners like us. But we are thankful for his willingness to travel into Jerusalem, even though he knew that less than a week later he would be nailed to a cross. We thank you, dear Lord, that Christ Jesus fled to Jerusalem for us. We thank you that he did so despite knowing that those crowds of people who welcomed him and cried out Hosanna to him as he approached and laid down palm fronds on the ground and put a donkey for him to ride upon before him. Those people who less than a week later would turn against him and cry out for his blood. Lord, we are thankful that Jesus Christ did this for us. We pray, dear Lord, that you, by your grace, would show us this better way. That we, Lord, would not repay evil with evil, but that we would repay evil with good. Because that is exactly what you have done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.